the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Seven minutes after four o'clock, just like we started seven minutes after four o'clock yesterday. The day before that, about seven minutes after four o'clock. Okay, we're closer to eight minutes after four o'clock. Clark points out. Uh, today we're going to talk with the editor of The Stream. He wrote a column, Dr. Jay Richards, about the history of Lent and what it means. We'll talk with him about that. We'll also talk with uh, Sarah Beth Smith, author of Piecing Together Lives Shattered by Early All. Uh, early onset Alzheimer's in the five o'clock hour. And we'll talk with James Taylor. He is the director of Bow the Knee. It's the um, Easter pageant and pageant somehow seems like a word that doesn't entirely capture this uh, magnificent performance. It represents uh, Vancouver area churches, but is held at Liberty Bible Church in Vancouver. That's coming up the 14th through the 17th of March. That's a Thursday through Sunday. We want to make sure you have all the important details. So we will provide that for you later in the five o'clock hour. Breaking news story just moments before the program began. We learned that former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort today was sentenced to 47 months in prison. That's about four years uh, after a federal jury in Virginia convicted him of eight counts of bank and tax fraud last year. His conviction in August made him the first campaign associate of Trump found guilty by a jury as part of a special counsel Robert Mueller's probe, although the charges did not relate to the core um, search for the probe. U.S. District Judge T.S. Ellis emphasized ahead of sentencing that the Manafort case is not about Russia interference in the 2016 election. Manafort, who has been dealing with health issues, looked unwell as he entered the courtroom in a wheelchair. He told Ellis, the judge, and the last two years have been the most difficult he and his family have ever experienced and appeared to choke up a bit. As he told the judge, he appreciated the trial that has been conducted. Prosecutor said Manafort, who is 69, some counts say 70, uh, hid income earned from political work overseas from the IRS while fraudulently obtaining millions in bank loans. Manafort had uh, pleaded not guilty to all 18 counts in that case. He's still facing additional years in prison from another case. After his conviction in Virginia, he pled guilty to, in Washington to foreign lobbying violations and witness tampering as part of a plea deal with prosecutors. He's not yet been sentenced in that case, but this is going to be much tougher. Uh, the judge in that case, for example, was the uh, judge responsible for his being uh, remanded to solitary confinement, presumably for his own safety. Uh, Mueller's team recently asked a federal judge to sentence him to 24 years in prison and order him to pay as much as $24 million in fines. We'll see what actually happens about five days from now. His hopes for a reduced sentence in the Washington case may be in jeopardy after a federal judge recently found that he lied to Mueller's team in response to some but not all of his inquiries or their inquiries. The ruling voids his plea deal and exposes Manafort at a minimum to a harsher sentence. There's been speculation that the president, who has expressed sympathy for Manafort, could pardon him, his former campaign chairman. I feel very badly for Paul Manafort, uh, Donald Trump said in August. Now, he hasn't said he will do it, but 
they're interpreting that expression of sympathy as the possibility. Defense attorneys for Manafort have suggested that Mueller's team had improperly ensnared their client in its probe as the case didn't um, have anything to do with Russia's interference in the 2016 election. The prosecution star witness, Rick Gates, Manafort's former business partner who struck a plea deal to cooperate with the government, testified during the trial that he and Manafort committed bank and tax fraud together. Uh, so he will at least serve, uh, at this point we know, four years uh, for those charges, but faces in about five days another much tougher judge in D.C. to face further charges and sentencing for those charges. In other news, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is taken aback by the growing dissent and anger among rank-and-file Democrats over a possible resolution which now has been uh, formed and passed. We'll talk more about that uh, shortly. To condemn anti-Semitism stemming from a controversial freshman lawmaker's recent comments. The stalled resolution originated after freshman Democratic Representative Ilhan Omar of Minnesota for at least the second time in recent months ignited an uproar for echoing tropes critics have deemed anti-Semitic. The debate over how to address her latest remarks had overtaken House Democrats in recent days and underscores both Pelosi's tenuous grip on control of the House and the growing power of party, the party's left-wing progressive uh, members. Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen told the House Homeland Security Committee yesterday that the U.S. faces a real serious and sustained crisis at our border. However, she was caught in a series of heated exchanges with lawmakers while being questioned over family separations at the border, with one Democrat accusing her of having no feeling, no compassion. Nielsen was grilled by members of the Democratic majority over claims that the Trump administration went out of its way to separate families. I think it's really important, Madam Secretary, that you talk about it and you use the right language. This was not the law, okay? Representative Kathleen Rice, no relation, from New York said, this was a policy that the Attorney General of this country announced was a new policy that they were going to rip kids away from their parents. So I think it's very important that the record reflect that, end quote. Well, that's not exactly accurate, but nonetheless, that was an accurate quote. Meanwhile, Michael Cohen provided the House Intelligence Committee yesterday uh, with records that undercut allegations that the president's attorneys made critical edits to alter the timeline of failed negotiations to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. Another hole in another aspect of the Russian collusion theories that have dogged the president. Trump's former fixer and personal attorney provided documents that showed that the original date in the original draft of Cohen's false congressional testimony on the conclusion of failed Trump Tower negotiations was January 2016. A source familiar with the documents have said now Cohen acknowledged in a guilty plea last year that he misled lawmakers in 2017 by saying he had abandoned the project in January of 2016, when in fact he pursued it for months afterward as Trump uh, campaigned for the presidency. Cohen's latest uh, act of uh, cooperation with authorities comes amid reports that he directed his attorney last year to seek a possible pardon from President Trump. He now denies ever having wanted And the Democratic National Committee has barred Fox News from hosting any of its presidential primary debates out of concern that the network wouldn't provide a fair and neutral forum for candidates. I believe that a key pathway to victory is to continue to expand our electorate and reach all voters, Tom Perez, DNC chairman, said in a statement to The Washington Post. Others have interpreted that as uh, wanting to host the debates with more favorable networks that would not challenge some of the more liberal members of the uh, 
a growing list of candidates. That's why I, he said, have made it a priority to talk to a broad array of potential media partners, including Fox News. Recent reporting in The New Yorker on the inappropriate relationship between President Trump, his administration and Fox News has led me to conclude that the network is not in a position to host a fair and neutral debate for our candidate. And while some Fox News channel opinion hosts have come under fire for ties to the Trump administration, Chris Wallace, Brett Baer, Martha McCallum are anchors for the news division. There are different divisions who've been praised for their handling of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. We hope the DNC will reconsider its decision to bar Chris Wallace, Brett Baer, and Martha McCallum, all of whom embody the ultimate journalistic integrity and professionalism from moderating a Democratic presidential debate. They're the best debate team in the business, and they offer candidates an important opportunity to make their case to the largest TV news audience in America, which includes many persuadable voters. That's a quote from the Fox News senior vice president, Bill Salmon, in a statement. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 21 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Well, a sprawling General Motors assembly plant near Youngstown was idled on Wednesday after more than 50 years producing cars and other vehicles, a move that will eliminate nearly 1,700 hourly positions by month's end. The crews, once a popular and well-reviewed compact car made in Lordstown since 2011, has become the victim of consumer tastes as car buyers in an era of inexpensive gasoline have shown strong preferences for trucks, for SUVs and crossover type vehicles, all of which produce far bigger profits than sedans for GM. I am just going to jump in here and say I have a Chevy Cruze. Uh-huh. I absolutely love the vehicle, and I am disappointed that my next car won't be a Chevy Cruze. You might want to buy one now because yeah. they're not going to be around. Yeah, just really disappointing. Yeah, I'm sorry. You have my condolences. Cody Weddle, a Venezuela-based freelance reporter, was released late Wednesday after spending about 12 hours in custody. Underscoring the ongoing political crisis in the South American nation, Weddle, a 28-year-old Virginia native, was detained early yesterday after Venezuela military counterintelligence raided his home in Caracas. His assistant was also detained and their equipment was seized. Florida Senators Marco Rubio, Rick Scott demanded his release and the U.S. State Department accused Venezuelan leader Nicolas Maduro of of, uh, preferring to stifle the truth rather than face it. But again, Cody Weddle and his associate have now been released. And that was late on Wednesday. Once a rising Republican star, former U.S. Representative Aaron Schock's public fall from grace began with stories of his lavish tastes, including the extravagant remodeling of his Washington office inspired by the British television series Downton Abbey. After he resigned in 2015 with federal investigation, Schock of Peoria was hit with a sweeping criminal indictment alleging he used his government and campaign funds as a personal piggy bank. On Wednesday, however, his story took a stunning turn, one virtually unheard of in high-profile corruption case. In a surprise move, federal prosecutors in Chicago announced that they had agreed to drop all charges against Schock in what's known as a deferred prosecution. Under the terms of that deal, Schock, 37, has to pay back taxes to the IRS and $68,000 to his congressional campaign funds. 
A federal judge in California has blocked the Trump administration from including a citizenship question on the 2020 census, ruling the decision to add the question is unconstitutional. U.S. District Judge Richard Seaborg of the District Court in San Francisco is the second federal judge to reject the administration's bid to include that citizenship question on the upcoming census questionnaire. The U.S. Supreme Court agreed last month to consider the issue, and the judges will hear arguments in the case out of uh, New York in April. Is it unconstitutional to ask the question whether or not you are a U.S. citizen on the census uh, test? Senator Martha McSally, the first female fighter pilot to fly in combat, disclosed during an emotional Senate hearing yesterday she was preyed upon and then raped by in the Air Force, rather, by a superior officer. She said she didn't report the assault because she didn't trust the system and was ashamed and confused. The revelation came just weeks after Senator Joni Ernst uh, came forward in January with her story of also being assaulted by a former boyfriend, saying she decided to do so after details of her divorce were made public. And the dream of the $15 minimum wage was finally realized among Amazon employees after the company caved to mounting pressure and implemented it company-wide on November the 1st. But according to a new report, the improved wages aren't working out as many employees had hoped at Amazon's Whole Foods grocery store chain. The employees, speaking on condition of anonymity for fear of retaliation, revealed that they've seen an average of about 30% reduction in hours per week for part-timers and about 10% reduction for full-timers which we've seen time and time again elsewhere where it's also been imposed. And on this day in 1965, a march by civil rights demonstrators is violently broken up in the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, by state troopers and a sheriff's posse in what came to be known as Bloody Sunday. And on this day in 1955, the first TV production of the musical Peter Pan starring Mary Martin aired on NBC. And uh, on this day in 1926, the first successful transatlantic radio telephone conversations take place between New York and London. Hello, hello, hello. Well, after several days of infighting and a near rebellion by rank and file Democrats, as well as a major last minute revision, the House on Thursday overwhelmingly passed a bipartisan resolution that only indirectly condemned Minnesota Democratic Representative Ilan uh, Ilhan uh, Omar's repeated anti-Semitic and pernicious comments. Actually, it didn't at all uh, and didn't mention her name as well. The final vote was 407 to 23 with 23 Republicans voting no and all Democrats voting yes. Iowa GOP Representative Steve King, who faced his own bipartisan blowback for comments purportedly defending white nationalists, voted present. Uh, by the way, he was named specifically and stripped of his committee assignment. The final draft of the resolution was expanded to condemn virtually all forms of bigotry, including white supremacy and what Republicans characterized as a cynical ploy to distract from Omar's remarks. Texas Republican Representative Louis Gomart speaking on the House floor to announce that he would vote against the resolution remarked, now the resolution condemns just about everything. Hatred for Israel is a special kind of hatred. It should never be watered down. Well, Gomart was joined in voting down the resolution by House Republican Conference Chair Liz Cheney, as well as Representatives Andy Biggs, Ken Buck, Michael Conway, Chris Collins, Mike Rogers, and many others. Today's resolution vote was a sham put forward by Democrats to avoid condemning one of their own and denouncing vile anti-Semitism, Cheney said in a statement. While I stand wholeheartedly against discrimination outlined in this resolution, the language before the House today did not address the issue that is front and center. I appreciated a common uh, column, rather, written by Joel Griffin on the subject, putting it into a broader, more historical context in which he write, Representative Ilhan Omar 
launched yet another uh, anti-Semitic tirade last week, declaring to a packed audience, I want to talk about the political influence in this country that says it's okay to push for allegiance to a foreign country, Israel. Days later, she doubled down, asserting on Twitter that she should not be uh, expected to have allegiance, pledge support to a foreign country in order to serve my country in Congress or serve on committee. In those statements, Omar accused Jewish Americans of holding dual loyalties. There's no other way to read it. This accusation is an age-old slur that goes back millennia. The viziers of ancient Persia, Haman, once used a similar line to stoke fear and hatred of the Jewish people 2,400 years ago as he plotted against their very existence across the empire. As recounted in the book of Esther, Haman warned King Azarias, there is a certain people, the Jews, scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the province of the kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. Esther 3.8. The attempt by anti-Semites to manipulate political leadership and national opinion against the Jewish people continues. How appalling that this uh, kindred spirit of, of Haman now stirs within the U.S. Congress. The issue here is not the hurt feelings of Jewish Americans or the offensiveness of Omar's comments. A far greater concern is the twisted view of the world that her words suggest she holds. As the founder of Christianity once said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Her words are just a symptom. The more disconcerting problem is what she believes, and her powerful position as a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee enables her to normalize this anti-Semitism, spread falsehoods, and influence our international relations. Omar's extremist views have been known for the better part of a decade, dating back to her time in the Minnesota legislature. Jarringly, she was one of just two members of the Minnesota House to oppose legislation limiting life insurance payments to the beneficiaries of those who died in the furtherance of terrorism. During Israel's 2012 war against U.S.-designated terror group Hamas, Omar tweeted, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. After winning election in November, Omar's campaign clearly identified her rather as a supporter of the so-called BDS movement against Israel. The acronym stands for Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions. Last month, she suggested in a now-deleted tweet that Jewish Americans were buying the support of politicians for Israel. It's all about the Benjamins, baby, she wrote. In the story of Esther, King Azariah's heart became fortified against uh, Haman's slander when reminded to act... Uh, when an act of loyalty by Mordecai, a Jewish leader who overheard and warned of a plot against his life. Mordecai's niece, Queen Esther, boldly exposed the king. The details of Haman's uh, ultimate aims, deliverance, sprang forth through these uh, heroic acts. Just as in Persia, Jews play an important role in American civil life in 2019. Their commitment to their faith and tradition and support for extended family in Israel does not conflict with their partisan, their patriotism rather, and allegiance to the United States, the last best hope of man on earth. Haman's... uh, Exist in every generation. In a democratic society, private citizens should confront this evil by speaking truth. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 35 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk with the editor of The Stream, Dr. Jay Richards, about his column on the history of Lent, what it means, and how most people observe it. So we'll get into that later this hour. Well, a conservative group that filed a complaint with the FEC alleged rep- alleges rep- rather, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez campaign may have illegally funneled thousands of dollars through an alleged 
uh, pack or an allied pack to boyfriend Riley Roberts on Thursday lodged a fresh complaint with the Office of Congressional Ethics. The new filing also concerns the famous Congresswoman's boyfriend, but focuses on his use of a congressional email account. The Coolidge Reagan Foundation, a political nonprofit, alleges in the complaint that the New York Democratic lawmaker used her newly found congressional privileges in an unethical manner when she set up the House email address for Roberts. Uh, This complaint alleges Representative uh, Ocasio-Cortez improperly converted U.S. House resources to her non-official personal use by obtaining an official email House government email address for her boyfriend, despite the fact that he was not employed by her congressional office, reads a line from the complaint. Moreover, it appears she obtained the email address for him by falsely designating him as a staffer. It could be a serious charge, but we'll see what happens next. It's been rather interesting in both the case of Ilan Omar and Ocasio-Cortez, the Speaker of the House, has said, well, they just didn't really, they're they're just naive. They didn't understand what they were doing, which isn't generally an excuse that passes for anyone in Congress. I mean, once you get to that position, you kind of need to know what you're doing. We'll see what happens in either of those cases. Meanwhile, Michael Cohen sued the Trump Organization and New York Supreme Court today for millions of dollars in legal fees and costs, claiming his company uh, has to pay him for matters arising from his work for the company, including multiple congressional hearings and costs related to special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. Cohen, who's slated to report to prison to serve three years in May, worked for the organization for more than a decade as an attorney. In his suit, he claimed the company violated an agreement that it would compensate him for his work related to the organization and its officers. Um, the uh, This action arises from the Trump organization's failure to meet its Um, indemnification obligations under the contractual agreement between the Trump Organization and Mr. Cohen, pursuant to which the Trump Organization agreed to indemnity, indemnify Mr. Cohen and to pay attorney's fees and costs incurred uh, in connection with various matters arising from his work with and on behalf of the organization and its principles. And it goes on from there. They added that Cohen has incurred millions of dollars in unreimbursed attorney's fees and costs in addition to other amounts which he uh, continues to incur in connection with the various ongoing investigations and litigation. Now, the fact that the the, uh, attorney-client privilege was breached, I don't know what role that might play in all of that, but we'll see how that plays out in the days ahead. And a Utah elementary school teacher apologized to one of her Catholic students on Wednesday and may still face disciplinary action after she forced him to wash the ash off of his forehead on Wednesday. The cross, the boy's family said, William McLeod, a fourth grader in Valley View Elementary School, received the ash marking made in the shape of a cross and applied by a priest for the Catholic religious day that signals the start of the Lenten season and then went to school in Bountiful, the community he's from. Uh, He told the local news media that he was the only student who had the ashes. Well, William said, a lot of students ask me uh, what it was. I said, I'm Catholic. It's the first day of Lent. It's Ash Wednesday. And he explained the whole thing. Well, William's teacher, who wasn't identified, later approached him and forced him to wash the symbol from his forehead. William reportedly attempted to explain why he wanted to keep the ash cross on his forehead, but he said the teacher just wouldn't listen. She took me aside and she said, you have to take it off. She gave him a disinfecting wipe, whatever they are called, and she made him uh, made me wipe it off. He said, well, William's grandmother, Karen Fisher, was very upset by the incident and received a call from the school's principal and the teacher who ordered the cross to be washed off. I asked her if uh, she had read the Constitution with the First Amendment, and she said, the teacher, no, which was rather 
surprising. Well, Davis School District spokesperson uh, Chris Williams apologized for the incident and said an investigation was being conducted. Um, Why that even came up, I have no idea, the grandmother said. When a student comes into school with ashes on their forehead, it's not something we say, please take off, the principal said. A Williams family said the teacher apologized with a a handwritten note and candy. Uh, I hope it helps somebody and I hope it never happens again, Fisher said, the grandmother. I don't think it will. Well, We'll see what happens with the teacher, but she is currently under investigation and faces the possibility of being disciplined. Well, an 84-year-old widow Claims California officials are threatening to kick her out of a residence for veterans if she doesn't stop hosting a longtime Bible study. She didn't just start it. It's been going on for quite some time. Um, Artist Bro and her uh, husband moved into the veterans home in California nine years ago. Bro's husband, who died a few years ago, served as the uh, merchant marine army in uh, World War II. And then during the Korean War, he served in the Air Force. The two met in the 50s while they were while she worked rather at the Pentagon as a civilian employee in the office of the chief of staff of the army. Well, she's been volunteering with the chaplaincy program and led Bible studies much of the last decade at the area of the residence known as the Holderman Building, which is a shared space for residents of the home. Recently, the California Department of Veterans Affairs notified Bro that she would face involuntary discharge or expulsion from the home if she doesn't give up her status as a volunteer Bible study leader. This shocking attack from the state against our clients' exercise of religious conviction is deeply disturbing. Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute, the firm representing Bro, is saying, the state seeks to punish artists based on non-existent directives and deprive her of a personal ministry to the veterans who have benefited from her religious service for years. Artists isn't fighting just for herself, but for the gospel and for the residents who are unable to fight for themselves against the state's attempted intimidation. Well, Bro came under fire for a discussion she had last September with another resident about heaven and hell that allegedly caused the man to lose sleep and was deemed elder abuse, emotional abuse and otherwise illegal. In December, the Veterans Home notified Bro that her volunteer status was being suspended indefinitely due to an ongoing investigation. She said she had not uh, had an interview scheduled uh, with the officials about the alleged complaint thus far. Well, until last week, she was allowed to continue to lead the Bible study for some of the uh, residents, most elderly and mobile, uh, mobility-challenged residents who have a hard time attending chapel services. But on Friday, the... Uh, Cal vet attorney threatened Bro with expulsion if she didn't stop offering the voluntary Bible studies. The attorney claims the decision was for the health and well-being of the residents. So it would be better for them to simply have no knowledge of hell or to uh, hear what the scriptures have to say about it in their declining years. Again, the Pacific uh, Law Organization, much like ADF and Liberty, some of these groups that provide um, gratis legal representation will uh, challenge this threat of expulsion. School board and city council members are amplifying pressure on a Pittsburgh marathon to drop Chick-fil-A as the title sponsor at a children's event. Unless marathon organizers, they argue, boot the fast food chain, a proposed resolution due before the Pittsburgh Public School Board would ban district employees and schools from participating in an official capacity in the One Mile Kids Marathon. It's held uh, the day before the main race in May. Meanwhile, all nine council members signed a letter asking the marathon to nix the funding deal. Their correspondence went to the uh, P3R nonprofit, which manages the race event, just as its board was due to discuss the sponsorship uh, this afternoon. Well, that meeting was uh, closed to the public. Chick-fil-A, Chick, rather, 
Chick-fil-A has fallen under criticism for comments made by the founder's son about traditional marriage and for donations to conservative family organizations. They have several beliefs, which they expressed officially, largely through religious basis, the school argues, that are quite discriminatory and are quite inconsistent with the district's policies regarding discrimination on the basis of gender, race, uh, says the school solicitor. Now, the um, son, the the owner's son, um, Dan Cathay, the the founder's son, uh, made comments with regard to same-sex marriage and traditional marriage, that they embrace traditional marriage. And have given um, money to organizations like or, like um, uh, the Family Research Council, uh, mainstream Christian organizations. And that is, according to this uh, organization, intolerable. Unless you are in lockstep in terms of your views on these subjects, um, you sh- cannot or should not be allowed to associate in any way uh, with a mainstream event like this uh, marathon. Well, school board members... Um, brought the matter to uh, the administrators after hearing from concerned constituents. Well, the board is set to vote next week on the resolution, which would withhold district support from the children's event as long as Chick-fil-A is a sponsor. Now, you find it rather interesting because traditional views are being um, singled out as discriminatory. You cannot hold a particular point of view um, under this um, rubric, uh, which portends a type of persecution that I would expect we're going to continue to see. Uh, Persecution in the form of um, the lack of opportunity, exclusion, and so on. 45 minutes after 4 o'clock. Up next, Dr. Jay Richards, the editor of The Stream. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You are listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, yesterday was Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the 40-day period in the church calendar known as Lent. It's a time of preparation leading up to Holy Week and Resurrection Sunday. Around the world, countless Christians had the sign of the cross written on their foreheads in ash and heard the words, remember that you are dust and to dust you will return. Well, what is Lent and why do so many Christians follow it? Where did it originate from and are we required by scripture or forbidden uh, from acknowledging it? Well, here to talk with us about all of that today is the editor of the stream, Dr. Jay Richards, who wrote on the history of Lent and what it means uh, recently in the stream. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be with you. Now, in your column, you make the point that there are those who say, hey, the word Lent is not mentioned in the Bible, therefore uh, we should not observe it. Um, and your response, I think, is is classic. Let's start there, because I think for people who don't follow the tradition, it's a foreign concept. It is. And of course, it was it, it was a Twitter fight, actually. One person said that. Another, uh, another uh, Twitter feed said, well, the word Bible is not in the Bible either. And then I piled on and said... Nor is the word Trinity or incarnation. I mean, this, it's sort of that's a silly argument because, of course, there's many things we believe as Christians, such as the Trinity, that in which the word itself is not in Scripture. And so, my point was that there are many things, especially uh, spiritual practices that have stood the test of time, that are consistent with Scripture, that Christians have practiced for many centuries together, that could be really spiritually beneficial, even if they're not explicitly commanded or mentioned in the Bible. I think part of the confusion is understanding what. What Lent is. Some people believe that this is a way of, of sort of uh, paying penance and that you are somehow earning your favor with God through depriving yourself in certain ways. Let's talk about what Lent isn't before we talk about what it is and where it came from. 
Well, it's definitely not that. Obviously, it's not about saving yourself by mm-hmm. working really hard. Um, but if you look at it, as far back as we have records in the early church, Christians were coming together and praying and fasting. They started with prayers and fa- really strict fast, very strict fast on Wednesday and Friday, Wednesday being the day Jesus was betrayed, Friday the day, of course, that, that he was crucified. And But very early on, Christians started uh, focusing on the theme of 40 in Scripture. Jesus is 40 days in the desert fasting. The Jews are 40 years uh, in the desert, you know, before they enter the Promised Land. So very early on, this period leading up to Easter, to Resurrection Sunday, became a focus of really intense fasting and penance, not in the sense that you're you're trying to earn your salvation, but really focusing on the suffering of Christ, identifying ourselves with the suffering of Christ, especially in his, his long road to Jerusalem before his crucifixion. So that's really what it's about. It's entering more fully into an identification and association of ourselves with Christ and with his mind and with its life. That's really what Lent's about. What do uh, believers across the globe do during this Lenten period? We know that um, there's fasting and prayer, there's deprivation of, of some sort, mm-hmm. but what what's typical of a person who is observing this season of Lent? At least some sort of fast. Now, if you talk most American Catholics, I joke that it's uh, sort of vestigial fasting, a little fast on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, but never really give up food for any significant period of time. If you look historically, uh, Christians during Lent not only gave up lots of types of food that they like, but you say Eastern Orthodox Christians, they eat basically a vegan diet during the week, and then on Sunday they take a break. That's something people don't realize. You think of the 40 days, but if you count from Ash Wednesday until Holy Saturday, you actually count 46 days, and what's happening is that there are 40 fasting days, but then each Sunday, even during Lent, is still treated as a mini-feast. So whatever you're fasting from during the week, you break that and have a little feast on Sunday. And that's just, again, it's this traditional pattern of feasting and fasting that survived for centuries and centuries for Christians, doing this together, not just individually, but communally, it's only really in the 20th century that most of this stuff has disappeared. You make the point that unlike the great feast of Christmas, the secular world mostly ignores Easter with the exception of um, of Mardi Gras, which is, is a cultural vestige, uh, the big party that comes before the deprivation that probably isn't going to happen <laughs> starting right. with Ash Wednesday. <laughs> That's right, and that's because, I mean, you know, think about it. For the perspective of the world, I mean, we're bodily creatures. We love to eat. We love to party. Who likes to fast and deprive ourselves of things? But, of course, this fasting, it's not a statement that, well, food is bad or you should give these things up. In fact, what we're giving up are things that are goods, that they're lesser goods. And so if you, you decide that you're not going to eat for 20 hours out of the day, first of all, it gives you a lot more time for prayer and focusing. But that hunger, you know, uh, great thinkers throughout the ages have said there's just something about that physical hunger. We're bodily and spiritual creatures. And so fasting, it's really a way for us to bring our whole selves before Christ. And I'm convinced that if you do it individually, especially if you do it communally, it gives you access to kind of a spiritual power and experience that you that you won't experience otherwise. Now, in fact, you, you point out in your column that um, historically, most believers who observed Lent did so as a community rather than as an individual or privately. They did it together as the body of Christ. That's right, and that's the thing that I think is, is really what's missing. I mean, lots of Christians uh, fast and have different routines, and I think that's fine. It's not like I don't think churches have to mandate all of the details, but I also think that we have lost that communal character. The one thing you see is, as you mentioned, you'll see the ashes on the foreheads, mostly of Catholics and some other Christians on Ash Wednesday. But otherwise, 
it's not really a communal thing. And I think we miss that. Uh, we, you know, where two or three are gathered together, we're told Christ will be in the midst of them. Imagine if millions and millions of Christians of different traditions during this period leading up to Easter uh, were actually participating together in fasting and praying. Just imagine the spiritual power that, that we might have access to that, that we're not experiencing now. Mm. In fact, you remind your readers of Christ's prayer in John 17, in which he expresses uh, his heart's desire that we we as the body of Christ in unity uh, would be a demonstration that he is uh, and that the love that we have for one another would be a testament uh, to the world. This would be a season where that could be manifest in a very significant way. Absolutely. That's what I would, I would really like to see that. And I'm, I mean, I, Georgine, I, I just wrote a, a manuscript, the book's not out yet on this subject. I'm really fired up about it, but I really think that if Christians, Protestants, Orthodox, Catholics were to do this together, we could really make a difference in our culture. We tend to be a generation that prays little, um, that deprives itself little, and perhaps doesn't take full advantage of the opportunity we have been given to storm the th- throne of grace, if you will, on behalf mm. of the world um, in unity. And uh, to see the fruit of that kind of commitment is something that we, um, we certainly could use, but I fear are not likely to experience. That's right, and I think if we wonder why we're having so little positive effect on the culture, we think about how bad the culture is. Let's think about what we could do to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Eastern Orthodox and their yeah. observation of Lent. I think Ash Wednesday is replaced by some, some other name for the Monday that follows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they observe Lent. Is it is similar to what we in the West, uh, Protestants and Catholics, would recognize as uh, Lenten uh, fast? It, it is, and there'll be a different word, just as the Eastern Christians don't speak of Easter. That's actually an old English word. They talk about Pascha, which is more related to Passover, obviously. But it's basically the same thing. The calendar's just slightly different. What's, what's different is that they are really, really hardcore about the fasting. I encourage listeners, just go online and look up Orthodox Christian 2019 Lent fasting, and you'll see how serious it is. And I think you know, that's the one tradition in which this communal fasting has really held on, and I think we could learn something from it. Oh, absolutely. Well, I look forward to hearing uh, the book when it comes out, and I sure appreciate your time this afternoon. My pleasure. Thank you so much. He concludes his article by saying this, what would happen if we, referring to believers, if we channeled our extra time and hunger into fervent prayers to the Lord to renew his church and to deliver us from evil? What if churches encouraged this without requiring all the details? What if Christians of all stripes suddenly took up these practices and prayed in unison as Christ prayed in John 17? What would happen if we channeled our extra time and hunger into this fervent prayer? Might the Lord send his spirit in a new and powerful way and renew our land, which is in dire need of another great awakening? It's a great question, and certainly we don't need a Lenten season to do that, but any excuse that helps us to to come together as believers uh, and to pray in that way, uh, to examine our hearts, to uh, follow more closely as we are considering the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf, it seems to me it's a good thing for us as individuals, as the body of Christ, and certainly for the culture. Anyway, I wanted to spend some time talking about this occasion since many believers are currently um, uh, practicing um, fasting and prayer during this Lenten season, while others uh, perhaps have little understanding of what it is. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast.
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You are listening to The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Well, we are approaching a season. In fact, uh, yesterday was Ash Wednesday. We're currently into Lent. That means we're about 46 days, 45 days from Resurrection Sunday. And that means that a performance that's become something of a fixture here in the Pacific Northwest has returned to the Vancouver area. I am referring, of course, to Bow the Knee. It is the dramatic story of the death and resurrection of Jesus as seen through the eyes of Anthony, a Roman centurion who's ordered to carry out that crucifixion. And throughout this presentation, he struggles to try to make sense of who Jesus is and what that means for him personally. This is a performance that is unparalleled here in our community, and I'm excited to have the director with us uh, once again, James Taylor, um, to talk a bit about this performance and to invite you to, to attend. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you back. Hi, Georgine. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Well, Bow the Knee is going to be uh, held at Liberty Bible Church in Vancouver, but I think it's important to emphasize that this really represents more than 25 churches in the area. Camas Church of the Nazarene, Ridgefield Church, Bethel Lutheran Church, Church on the Rock, Crossway, Memorial Lutheran, City Bible Church, so many churches in our area coming together to make this presentation. Um, there's powerful music, beautiful sets, compelling drama, authentic costumes, professional sound and lighting. How you all pull this off year after year is a mystery to me. But tell us a little bit of the, the backstory of Bow the Knee. Well, this will be our 16th uh, year of performances. Mm. And uh, it's, it actually started here at Liberty Bible on a very tiny little stage and uh, progressed through a number of venues. And, and here we are full circle back here. And, uh, and now it's a massive stage with lots of folks. And uh we are just having a tremendous time putting this whole thing together. They're, it, it's all volunteers, and they are putting in unbelievable hours to make sure that this, uh, that this remains a, a tremendous quality presentation of the gospel. And it really is a quality presentation. One of the things that I want people to know is that it isn't just a presentation on a platform up there, but when you are seated in the audience, you really are part of the story because much of the action is taking place throughout the auditorium. So you become a part of the story. Yeah, it, it really enveloped you, uh, especially having it here at Liberty. You are up close and personal. Uh, you have you have soldiers going by that are six inches from you at times, and uh, you you get to see. You get to see things that normally you wouldn't see from a distance in a, in a really, really large, huge venue. Now, I mentioned a, a moment ago, the music is powerful. The sets are, are beautiful. It's a compelling drama, authentic costumes. This really is a, a level that um, I don't know that we've seen here in this area uh, of late. Uh, this is a, a Class A presentation. Well, thank you for that. And uh, it, it, it happens because of all the volunteers. And so... By the time we get done, between the choir, the cast, and the crew, there will be well over 300 people involved. Mm. And these are folks that come from all walks of life. Uh, some of the folks who, who build the sets, whether they are construction workers or not, uh, they all participate. Uh, people who build Roman armor. Well, that was a school teacher and an upholstery guy. Uh, but they did the research, and they built Roman armor. And so it was, it's pretty exciting to, uh, to see all these people come together, use the talent, skills, and abilities that God has given them, and 
Let them create. Mm. We're talking about an Easter musical drama presented by Liberty Bible Church and the Friends of Balvany, which includes more than 25 churches with a limited number of performances. And one of the reasons we want to make sure that you know about it is that tickets are required, although the performance is free. And now is a great time to make sure that you are included. The first performance is Thursday, March the 14th at 7 o'clock p.m., followed by a performance on Friday night at 7. There are two opportunities on Saturday. March the 16th, 1 o'clock p.m. and 6 o'clock p.m., and the final performance on Sunday, March the 17th at 5 p.m. And again, all performances take place at Liberty Bible Church. The doors open about one hour prior to your scheduled showtime, and any remaining seats will be released about 30 minutes prior to showtime. So plan to arrive early. You want to get a great seat. Um, Make an evening of it. Get something to eat and make your way over to the performance because it's going to be an evening you're going to be talking about uh, for some time. And it's a great way to anticipate and prepare for the celebration that we all engage in as the body of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I've been to the performances, and I would suggest that it's not only for those who know Jesus, who embrace him as their Savior, but it's also a great opportunity to bring uh, family members, friends, neighbors who may not know him, are curious, are open to the gospel because it's Easter season, to hear the story told in a very compelling way. Would you agree that this is a great opportunity to invite your uh, unbelieving friends? Most definitely. In fact, we really stress and emphasize, even with our own churches, that we want them yeah. to bring family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. Uh, if they've seen it before, that's great. Uh, we want you to bring people that need to know Jesus, yeah. and so bring them on in. They're gonna they're gonna hear the message and, and be challenged with uh, with with a decision. Yeah. And I I just want to (laughs) tell folks, this isn't a performance where the men are wearing their bathrobes and the women are wearing uh, bed sheets. (laughs) This this is a performance that you will be proud uh, to bring your your friends to as being very professional. They're not going to be put off by how amateurish it is. This really is a very well done performance, and I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. And again, we're talking about uh, folks from 25 plus different churches in our community who have volunteered significant amounts of time learning music, doing the drama, making the sets, uh, you know, all the elements that go into the the lighting, the sound, everything, a great opportunity. And I think it just opens our hearts and prepares us to consider, reconsider, to dwell on the sacrifice that Christ made for us and the decision that every one of us ultimately has to make about who we say he is and how we respond uh, to what he has done. Let me just give you an opportunity to invite uh, listeners this evening to bow the knee. Well, we, uh, our, our tickets are going extremely fast, so we want to encourage you to go on to uh, com and, and get ticket requests in there. We will f- we'll fill all that we can. I believe as of uh, today, I believe several of the shows are, are even sold out. And so you need to get on there right away and get those tickets and uh, come early to make sure you get a good seat, because when it fills up, it's full. Yeah. And, uh, and we don't want to turn people away, but we only have so much seating. Yeah, and I have to say, it's a great auditorium. It's a sanctuary, but it's a great auditorium. All the seats are really good, but the earlier you get there, the better those really good seats can be. So um, you're going to have a good spot wherever you are. And as I mentioned before, you are part of the, the community surrounding these events. So you're, you're going to have a great view wherever you happen to be, but the earlier you're there, the, the better you can select where you you would like to be. Again, we're talking about the first performance that's coming up Thursday, March the 14th, 7 o'clock p.m., a performance on Friday night at 7, the following Saturday, that's the 16th, 
two opportunities, the matinee at 1 and at 6 o'clock p.m. That's on Saturday. And the final performance on the 17th is at 5 o'clock p.m. Again, that's at Liberty Bible Church of the Nazarene on Northeast Salmon Creek in Vancouver. Tickets are required, although they are free of charge. Again, I don't know how you pull this off, given the caliber of program this is, but I'm so grateful that you do. Go to bowtheknee.com, get your tickets, plan on going, but don't go by yourself. Bring somebody who needs to uh, to hear this story uh, along with you, and uh, you're all going to have a great time and a great conversation after. Well, let me just say uh, to you, um, James Taylor, uh, how much we appreciate the work and the effort that you've put into uh, this performance, and all of those who have volunteered to make this possible. It's such an honorable retelling of the events surrounding the life of Christ during this crucial period that leads to his crucifixion and ultimately his, uh, his resurrection. And we are grateful for the commitment that you have to our community uh, to, in such a beautiful way, uh, tell the story, the greatest story ever told. Well, thanks, Georgine. And I just want to say, I am surrounded by amazing people, and they make me look really good. <laughs> and if it wasn't for them, it, this stuff wouldn't happen. You know, that's how the body of Christ is supposed to work. We make one another right. look really good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks so much for taking the time to talk. Thanks, Georgine. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Again, uh, bye-bye. Uh, James Taylor is the director. Bow the knee at Liberty Bible Church in Vancouver. First performance Thursday, March the 14th, running through Sunday the 17th. Get your tickets at bowtheknee.com. Presented by Liberty Bible Church, the Friends of Bow the Knee, that includes more than 25 churches. Great uh, great performances. Um, again, doors open about an hour prior to your scheduled showtime. Any remaining seats will be uh, released 30 minutes prior uh, to that. Uh, so uh, plan on arriving early. All right. We're going to come back in just a moment and wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Today is Thursday, tomorrow is Friday, and that means that we are going to focus the majority of our attention on the lighter side of the news. So mark your calendars, um, make your phone calls, tomorrow is Fun Friday. Um, So I hope you plan on joining us. We are expecting a little light dusting of snow possible tomorrow morning. That should be all gone by the time we're here on the air, but we hope that you are not deflated and are ready for a... I don't know, look at the lighter side of the news. A couple of things. You know you're really old when you make an announcement like this one and half your listening audience are like, who, what, what, who's this, what happened? Um, Read today that Gloria Peterson, the Portland retail icon, has uh, died at 89. Now, Gloria Peterson, some of you know precisely who I'm referring to because of her husband, Tom Peterson, and later, and Gloria's too. Well, uh, retailer Gloria Peterson, who with husband uh, Tom became Portland's cultural icons, has died at 89, according to KXL Radio. Gloria Peterson with um, uh, her husband, the couple ran the Tom Peterson Furniture and Appliance Stores for about 30 years. They would appear together in late night television ads, Tom Peterson often imploring the viewers to wake up. And knock. uh, you could hear him knocking on the screen, the underside of your television screen, wake up. Wake up. Well, the couple would then highlight furniture, appliances, giveaways like free haircuts. And he had one of those buzz cuts. The ad would end with, now that's Tom Peterson and Gloria, too. Well, the Tom Peterson uh, ads ran frequently, unavoidable in that broadcast area. The catchphrase, free is a very good price, turned into a Portland colloquialism. Now, were you around at the time this all happened? Do you remember Tom Peterson? 
Yeah, you remember him? Well, Tom Peterson made a poor decision in 1989. He purchased the financially strapped Stereo Superstore chain, which Gloria Peterson eventually referred to as Stereo Stupid Stores. (laughs) That's a quote. It dragged him down, forced them into bankruptcy. And in fact, that's when she began to appear in uh, the ads. She was playing apparently a greater role in decisions that were being made. Uh, by the business. They managed to resurrect or resuscitate their original business several years later as Tom Peterson's and Gloria's too. They finally closed their last store in 2009. It's hard to imagine, it's hard to believe that was 10 years ago that the Petersons rather faded from memory. Well, Tom Peterson died back in 2016. In a statement to KXL, son-in-law Robert Condon remembered Gloria Peterson as a very kind and wonderful woman. Her favorite drink was a Manhattan. I have no idea what's in a Manhattan. When Tom went bankrupt, she cried every day for a week, he said, because the creditors uh, cashed in her Boeing stock that her mother left her when she died. When we started the new business under my DBA, she always chimed in at the company Christmas party and spoke to lift up the employees. Her famous saying was, do what you want to soar like an eagle or dive like a buzzard. Well, Gloria Peterson has died. 89. So she lived a very long time. Life, uh, Tom and Gloria Peterson's two. That iconic corner where the store was, and of course, Tom Peterson's uh, shorn head was always uh, largely featured on the outside banner of the, uh, of the facility. Also, they're saying that most of the valley was holding well above freezing this morning as the wintry mix turned into rain and then quickly transitioned into partly sunny skies. It's been a fairly nice day, but the work week hasn't seen its last chance for snow accumulation. It could come tomorrow. Uh, They say that we had a high of about 46 degrees today and sun breaks could fuel spotty downpours with some hail in the afternoon think we've seen any here yet once the sun goes down again however showers will transition back into a mix of rain and snow and then if temperatures overnight drop to 32 degrees and they certainly could several forecast models show a good chance of accumulating snow friday morning from salem all the way to longview now accumulating i'm guessing that's not much of an accumulation but we'll see a little light dusting if the uh, disturbance holds together and tracks over the rose city one to two inches could accumulate but Uh, They're also warning that it still may be an event that falls apart or fails to drop sea level temperatures to 32 degrees. So lots of ifs in that um, prognostication. Cascade snow totals were two to four inches uh, Wednesday, should be at about one to three inches on Thursday. In the gorge, afternoon temperatures warmed above freezing uh, with a mix of showers. Some good news, all moisture will end on Friday night and our weekend will be dry. Now, I was kind of looking forward to... Um, not doing work in the yard. You know, that kind of starting where you're cleaning things up and getting ready for spring and all of that. I thought I had an excuse to avoid doing it. Well, all moisture will end Friday night and our weekend will be dry. So I'm not quite sure what that will mean, but I might end up, like some of you, spending some time outdoors. Developing east winds on Saturday may become gusty near the gorge by Sunday morning, but the uh, stretch of dry weather will last into the day Monday. Uh, The last time Portland saw a 50-degree high was back on Groundhog Day. Since February 2nd, Portland has seen all but one day with the average temperatures below normal, including a record low high temperature of 36 degrees on the 27th of February. Uh, When will we see normal temperatures uh, this time of year? Well, they're saying the majority of weather outlook models have uh, shown the extreme cold breaking in mid-March. Normal mid-March daytime highs are usually about 55 to 60 degrees. So there you have it, a relatively dry 
uh, weekend, but who knows how warm it will be. You're you're making a face over there. What are you what are you trying to say? You a little skeptical? Is next week kind of mid March? Is next week mid March? Well today's own well, yeah, I guess next week would be because today's the seventh, but you're looking at what, the fifteenth? So mid week next week. So there you have it. Um, tomorrow on the program is uh, Friday, and we're going to lighten up. We certainly will follow more serious news as it breaks and develops, so uh, you won't be left out of the loop, but we're looking forward to taking a look at the lighter side of the news. So I hope you will join us. A couple things I want to remind you of. You can have the best day ever with the ladies of 93.9 KPDQ and 104.1 The Fish, and the best day ever podcast. Summer Shore, Crystal Thornton, Cat Taylor, and yeah, me. Get to know us behind the mic and hear honest, upbeat conversations about life and family, faith and friendship. New episodes come out twice a month on Mondays. You can subscribe and download the latest at kpdq.com. Best day ever. Check it out. We'd love to know what you think. All right. Want to thank James Blind for producing today's program. Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.